Hello, Americans. Stand by for news. <laughs> This is the Classic Guitar Rock Daily Update. All the classic rock news of the day. With your host, Jeremy Lunnan. I know. Yeah, yeah. I'll get to it. Okay. All right, we're going live. We're going live. We're going live. Our sponsor, of course, today, Gas Station Fountain Drinks. Find them at your local favorite gas station. They're good for what ails you. Hey, it's the Classic Guitar Rock Daily Update. I'm Jeremy. Thank you so much for joining us. We've got a full docket, a full slate. We are chock full of news, so I'm glad you're here. You can always email me, by the way, classicguitarrocketmail.com. From the I wish I could get uh, – let's try it again. From the I wish I could take that back file, we got uh, more from Peter Frampton. Peter Frampton – uh, did this interview with the Bob Left Sets podcast. So we mentioned some revelations that came out from that yesterday, but here's another one. Frampton says that he was tricked into appearing in the much maligned 1978 jukebox musical film, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. I mean, that movie, that is held up there with Heaven's Gate and uh, the rise of Skywalker as all-time crap fests of films, and um, which was funny because the Bee Gees were very popular. Frampton was very popular. Aerosmith, Alice Cooper. I mean, there were. It had all the makings of what would be a smash, but it was a big flop, tailspin. Yeah. Quote. This is from Peter. I was told by producer Robert Stigwood that Paul McCartney was going to be the savior of the heartland, Frampton explained. When Stigwood said Paul is going to be in the movie, I said, really? Well, if a Beatle's going to be in the movie, he sanctioned it. Then it can't be bad. However, reality sank in once he got out there. Quote, I fly out to Los Angeles. I go to the first meeting out there. No, no Paul McCartney. So I was lied to. Then I realized from the first day of shooting Oh, this is a disaster. I didn't walk because, <coughs> because I would have been sued. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm getting choked up. I didn't walk because I would have been sued to high hell. But we all hated being in that movie. And it, and it was a, a stinker. Stigwood had a lot of clout, right? He'd worked with Cream. He'd worked with the Bee Gees. He worked with uh, Saturday Night Fever. Had been a big hit like the year before. Uh, Jesus Christ superstar. I mean, so he had some cred. Like I said, they had arrows. And let me say this: this really gets people mad, but I'm going to say it. the The remake of Come Together that Aerosmith did for that movie, I like it better than the original. So that's the that's the best thing that came out of that movie. That uh, remake of Come Together. Marlon Hill checking in. Hi, Marlon. Thank you. So again, you know, if 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 Peter could do it again or do it over again, he he probably wouldn't have accepted uh that role in the movie. Quote, everyone thought we couldn't fail and it would have been good. The only thing I'll say about it is there was no script. 
And rest in peace, George Martin should not have been the guy to do the music. Because imagine doing that with Jeff Emmerich, the Beatles, right? But you don't have the Beatles. I would imagine they were not enjoying it. So, yeah, that happens sometimes. Movies that you think they've got the elements, you think it would be a, a, a no-brainer, they aren't. They turn out to be brainers. Yeah, and, and that was one of them. From the, whoo, that was a close call file. A sexual assault lawsuit filed against Steven Tyler has been dismissed after a judge ruled the Aerosmith singer's actions did not present, quote, serious risk of physical injury, end quote, to the plaintiff. Now, this happened, uh, supposedly this happened back in 1975. Model Gian Bellino, who was 17 at the time, claimed that Tyler, quote, stuck his tongue down her throat put his hands upon her body, yada, 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 did creepy stuff inside a New York phone booth. The Aerosmith singer allegedly rubbed his body on the girl, yada, yada, okay. And then the people with them in the party the, laughed, whatever. She suffered, so I, I'm, not, I'm not blaming the victim here. There's a few things that are weird about this, right? It happened in 1975. She filed the lawsuit a year ago. Because I guess you wait 50 years. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, but she, she brought this case forward. And, and apparently after that happened, hours later, apparently he, he, he uh, groped her again. And so my question then is, if he was creepy in the phone booth, why were you still hanging around hours late? I don't, there are questions. I don't, I don't understand this, but it's been dismissed. It's been dismissed. So I guess that's, that's good news for Steven, I guess. So now he can resume his quiet life as a cool hippie grandma. From the fun in the courtroom file, longtime Eagles manager Irving Azoff took the witness stand in New York City on Wednesday, testifying in a criminal case involving nearly 100 pages of allegedly stolen Eagles lyrics from the Hotel California album. So Henley, as many songwriters do, um, had a lot of lyrics written in notepads and everything. So this guy, uh, I'll try and find his name, something Sanders. This guy was um, writing a book. Ed Sanders was writing a book. A, uh, an authorized biography of the Eagles. And they handed over some of these notebooks and things as materials he could use for the book. Well, the guy writes the book. He shops around to several publishers. No one buys it. It sounds like everyone had kind of forgotten about it. Well, then all of a sudden, three guys, uh, collector type guys, auction guys, memorabilia guys, a guy named Glenn Horowitz, uh, former rock and roll hall of fame, the, that rock and roll hall of fame, the steaming pile of poop we often talk about, a curator from that uh, institution named Craig Inciardi and a rock auctioneer, Edward Kaczynski, no relation to Ted, they all bought uh, various pieces of this notebook with lyrics. Uh, unbeknownst to Mr. Henley, or the Eagles. 
And they're said to be worth, you know, like millions of dollars. And so now there, there's uh, legal actions going on to, to get uh, recover damages from these guys that basically stole this stuff from Henley because they said, Hey, we, we turned this over to this author. We didn't, it still belongs to us. We didn't give him, uh, you know, rights to, to sell it. Clearly not. So this will continue to go on. It's going to be a big court case. Uh, Don Henley is a litigious guy and, and rightly so, right? If this was stolen, he needs to be, you know, he, he needs to be, um, compensated for that. So this will continue for a while. And meanwhile, Henley will continue to threaten legal action against anyone who thinks about playing 10 seconds of his music on YouTube. From the awkward encounters with the artist formerly known as Prince File comes this. Duff McKagan, the bassist from uh, that little band called Guns N' Roses, he was a huge Prince fan, big fan of Prince. And so they're in Germany one night. Uh, they're scheduled to play the night after Prince is playing at a big hall in Germany. So he's there early enough. He says, oh, I'm going to go see Prince. You know, so he uses his celebrity swagger to, you know, get in and get backstage and all this. And uh, then he gets a message. Hey, hey, Prince heard you're here. He wants to meet you. He wants to talk to you. So Duff goes back. You know, after the show into the little, into Prince's room and he says there were candles and flowers and all kinds of stuff. But Duff said, he said, I was really drunk. He says, Prince is one of my idols. And I just stood there. And the longer I stood there, I knew I didn't want to meet him in this condition. So he wound up leaving. Never even met Prince. At least he doesn't remember meeting Prince. But later, um, Prince reaches out to him. This is like years later, not long before Prince died. He wanted to interview Duff. And so um, he says, sure, it's Prince. I'll do it. Okay. And so these guys, let me read his words, quote, so these guys came to my house and I had my bases out and things and I dressed up a little bit. He wasn't drunk. Prince wasn't there. With the film crew. So he just sent this film crew, but he still got involved with the interview. So so Prince was texting the questions and someone would relay the questions and then they would film Duff answering these questions. Quote, I get texts, questions from Prince in real time. Um, He was asking him, you know, hey, what songs did you help write? Blah, blah, blah. Kind of general stuff. Then he says, quote, the questions started getting like, why did Guns N' Roses break up? He was asking questions like anybody else would ask at that time. But McKagan politely declined to give Prince any dirt. We don't get into that, the rocker responded. That's something we don't talk about. So what can we learn from Duff's experience there? Well, he had a big chance to meet Prince. And I don't know if they met any other time, but he was a huge idol or a huge fan of Prince. And so don't drink too much, right? Because you might meet your idol backstage and, and you don't want to be embarrassed. Okay. So, so there's a lesson we can learn from there. The on again, off again relationships in journey comes to the front. Uh, there's actually an interview by Ultimate Classic Rock with Dean Castronova. Dean Castronova, the current drummer in journey and a great drummer and also the lead singer of Revolution Saints. You've heard me talking about Revolution Saints. Revolution Saints current lineup has uh, Jeff Pilson, 
of Dokken and Foreigner. And uh, what's his name? Joel Hoekstra. Joel Hoekstra is currently or will soon be touring with Accept for a few dates. That guy gets around. Anyways, UCR is interviewing Gene Castronovo about this current 50th anniversary tour that Journey is doing. They're doing some dates with Toto, some dates with Steve Miller, some dates with Def Leppard. I mean, it's huge. They're they're packing arenas like they did in the 80s. I mean, they're still – and here's the thing, guys. I saw them in 2016 with Arnell, and it was one of the best shows I've ever seen. I, I know people say Steve's not there. It's not – whatever. Get over yourself. Go see it and have a great time. Okay. Steve ain't there. He doesn't want to be there. Sorry, I sounded grumpy there, but, but doggone it. They put on great shows. I would, I would go see him personally. You'll, you'll have a blast. Anyways, Dean is talking about how it's going. And, um, of course he's asked about the whole schism between Neil and Jonathan Kane. Neil and Jonathan both airing their dirty laundry in public. We hate it when our favorite bands do that because it makes us choose sides. We don't want it. We don't want that. We just want to hear your music. We want, hey, can we all just get along? That's what we want. So about that, Dean says, you know, John and Neil, I think it was all about just communication. Having those guys sit down, you know, with Michelle, Sean, I think it's, is it Michelle, Michaela, Michelle, Sean, and Paula Kane, who's who's Jonathan's wife. So the wives sat down. Um, that helped out a lot. It was bringing them in and just going, guys, talk this out. This is too big, too beautiful, and too great to see it flush down the toilet. Mend the fences. Now we've got Michelle and Paula, John's wife. It's all four of them co-managing this band, and it's working. Okay. Four co-managers. Whatever. Uh, they're getting along and they're working together. It's one jet again instead of two. So they're all flying on the same jet. Well, that makes sense. They're running it like a business. That's what it should have been. There was a lot of turmoil in both camps and nobody was talking. That was the problem. Now they're all talking and communicating and it's working great. You know, Paula's a great businesswoman. She's smart smart with money. Michelle is a, a people person and she's got the gift of gab. We just do our jobs. We go out and play and it works. Man, it's great. I've got to give all four of them credit. To that point, we don't see this. It's it's behind the scenes, right? But there are several instances of tours falling apart because of the, I'm not blaming it on the wives, but I'm saying conflict sometimes between the wives that, that will be on the tour often, right? So it sounds like at least now these guys are getting along great. But Whitesnake, I mean, there are stories on Whitesnake about how, you know, one of the wives was actually kicked off. The, you can't come anymore because no one likes you, right? So that can be a problem. So I, I'm, I'm glad to see this love and harmony that's happening in Journey. And hope, hopefully that will be the case throughout the rest of the tour. And if they throw, if they come through your town, do yourself a favor and go see them. You'll, you'll love it. It'll be a great show guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will do it all again tomorrow on the classic guitar rock daily update. Live long and prosper. Bye-bye. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Thanks for listening. 
You can email Jeremy at classicguitarrock at mail.com. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Tune in each weekday for the Classic Guitar Rock Daily Update.